listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I am reading and reflecting on Maria Vagrida's four-volume, 2,500-plus-page work. Today is Day 30. And if you would like to discuss the Mystical City of God, join the Facebook group, Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. And there you'll see comments that others leave and topics they wish to discuss after they're done listening. Today, we are reading from chapter 16 of book 1, and we'll pick up where we left off yesterday, paragraph number 235, and we'll read through 243. There, in truth, the spouse of the king did sleep, while her heart was awake, Canticle 5.2. There, those bodily faculties, which scarcely had yet attained their natural form, and had not yet seen the material light, were asleep, and that heavenly heart, more marvelous on account of the greatness of its gifts than by the smallness of its size, was watching in the chamber of her mother's womb with the light of the divinity, which bathed it and enkindled it in the fire of its immense love. It was not befitting that in this heavenly creature the inferior faculties of the soul should act before the superior ones, nor that they should operate in an inferior or merely in a manner equal to those of any other creature. For if the operations correspond to the essence of each creature, she who always was superior to all of them in dignity and excellence was also to be superior in her operations to all creatures, angelic and human. Not only was she to be nothing short of the angelic spirits insofar as they immediately made use of their faculties at the instant of their creation, but this prerogative was due to her in superior excellence as she was created as their queen and lady. And this, by so much more, as the name and office of Mother of God, excels that of servants, and that of queen, the estate of vassals. For to none of the angels had the word said, Thou shalt be my mother. Hebrews 1.5 Nor could any one of them say to him, Thou art my son. Mary alone could claim this commerce and relationship, which is therefore the real measure and foundation of the greatness of Mary, in the same way as the Apostle measured the greatness of Christ by his being the Son of the Eternal Father. In writing of these sacraments of the King, howsoever honorable it is to reveal his works, I confess my inaptitude and incapacity, being only a woman, and I am afflicted because I am speaking in such common and vague terms, which fall entirely short of that which I perceive in the light given to my soul for the understanding of these mysteries. In order to do justice to such sublimity, there were need of other words, more particular and especially adapted terms and expressions, which are beyond my ignorance. And even if they were at my service, they would be weighed down and made insipid by human weakness. Let, therefore, this human imbecility acknowledge itself unequal and capable of fixing its eyes on the heavenly sun, with which the rays of the divinity break upon the world, although yet beclouded in the maternal womb of Holy Anne. If we seek permission to approach this wonderful sight, let us come near and free and unshackled. Let us not allow ourselves to be determined neither by our natural cowardice nor by a base fear and hesitation, even though it be under the cloak of humility. Let us all approach with the greatest devotion and piety, free from the spirit of contention, Romans 13.12, Then we will be permitted to examine with our own eyes the fire of the divinity burning in the bush 
without consuming it. Exodus 2.2 I have said that the most holy soul of Mary at the moment of her purest conception saw the divine essence abstractively, for it was not revealed to me that she was the essential glory. Rather, I understood that this latter privilege was peculiar to the most holy soul of Christ, such being due and consequent upon the substantial union of the divinity in the person of the word. For it was befitting that, for not one moment, should the soul of Christ be deprived in all its faculties of the highest grace and glory. Just as the man Christ, our highest good, commenced to be conjointly God and man, so he began at the same instant also to know and love God as one already possessing him, that is, as a comprehensor. But the soul of his most holy mother was not united substantially with the divinity, and therefore she did not begin her activity as a possessor of God, but entered into life as a wayfarer. However, she entered the state of wayfarer as one in closest proximity to the hypostatic union, and therefore she was endowed with the vision of God, proportionate and most immediate to the beatific vision. Her vision was inferior to the beatific, but superior to all the visions and revelations which have been vouchsafed to other creatures, always accepting the clear vision and fruition of the blessed. Nevertheless, in some respects, in regard to some qualities, the perception of God by the mother of Christ in her first instant excelled even the intuitive vision of other creatures, insofar as she penetrated abstractively into greater mysteries than they. Moreover, though she did not see God face to face at the moment of her conception, she was favored with that kind of vision many times afterwards during the course of her life, as I will say later on. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven gave me regarding this chapter. In the preceding chapters of this history, I said a few times that the Queen and Mother of Mercy had promised that when I should begin to describe the first operations of her faculties and virtues, she would instruct me how to model my life after her own, for this would be the principal purpose of showing it to me, as in a mirror. And this great lady, most faithful to her promises, besides continuing to assist me by her heavenly presence and the explanation of these mysteries, began to acquit herself of this promise in this chapter, and told me to expect the same as long as I should continue to write this history. Accordingly, at the end of each chapter, I will write down what Her Majesty shall teach me, as she has done even now, speaking to me in the following manner. My daughter, I wish that thou reap for thyself the fruits which thou desirest from the description of the mysteries and sacraments of my holy life, and let the reward of thy labors be the greater purity and perfection of thy life, disposing thyself by the grace of the Most High to practice what thou hearest. It is the will of my divine Son that thou exert all thy powers toward that which I shall teach thee, and that thou apply thyself with all thy heart to my virtues and works. Hear me with attentive faith, for I will speak to thee words of eternal life and teach thee the most holy things of a perfect Christian life and what is most acceptable to God. Begin even now to dispose thyself for the reception of the light in which thou shalt see the hidden mysteries of my most holy life and the doctrine which thou desirest. Continue in this exercise, and write down that which I will teach thee in this regard. And now listen. It is an act of justice due to the eternal God that the creature coming to the use of reason direct its very first movement toward God, by knowing it should begin to love him, reverence him, and adore him as its creator, and only true Lord. 
The parents are naturally bound to instruct their children from their infancy in this knowledge of God and to direct them with solicitous care so that they may at once see their ultimate end and seek it in their first acts of the intellect and will. They should, with great watchfulness, withdraw them from the childishness and puerile trickishness to which depraved nature will incline them if I left without direction. If the fathers and mothers would be solicitous to prevent these vanities and perverted habits of their children, and would instruct them from their infancy in the knowledge of their God and Creator, then they would afterwards easily accustom them to know and adore Him. My holy mother, who knew not of my wisdom and real condition, was more solicitously beforehand in this matter. For when she bore me in her womb, she adored in my name the Creator, and offered worship and thanks for His having created me, beseeching Him to defend me and bring me forth to the light of day from the condition in which I was then. So also parents should pray with fervor to God that the souls of their children through His providence may obtain baptism and be freed from the servitude of original sin. And if the rational creature has not known and adored the Creator from the first dawn of reason, it should do this as soon as it obtains knowledge of the essential God by the light of faith. From that very moment the soul must exert itself, never to lose him from her sight, always fearing him, loving him, and reverencing him. Thou, my daughter, owest this adoration to God from the beginning of my life. But now I desire thee to practice it in a more perfect manner, as I shall show thee. Direct the eyes of thy soul toward the essence of God, which is without beginning and without limit. Contemplate his infinite attributes and perfections. Consider that he alone is the true holiness, the highest good, the most noble object of creatures, that he alone gave being to all things, and without having need of them, sustains and governs them. He is consummate beauty without defect. He is eternal in his love, true in his words, and most faithful in his promises. He it was who gave his own life and subjected himself to sufferings for the good of his creatures, without waiting for any merits on their part. Over this wide field of goodness and of benefits extend thy vision and occupy thy faculties, without forgetting or wandering away therefrom. For having obtained such a great knowledge of the highest good, thine would be a loathsome meanness and disloyalty to forget him. And horrible would be thy ingratitude, if, after having received an enlightenment so much above the common and ordinary, and divinely infused by faith, thou wouldst allow thy understanding and will to swerve from the course of divine love. If at any time in thy weakness it should nevertheless happen, then quickly seek it again, with all dispatch and diligence, and return more humbly to the Most High to give him honor, glory, and eternal praise. Remember that thou must consider it thy special duty to do this incessantly for thyself and for all other creatures, and in this I desire thee to exert all thy diligence. In order to excite thyself to greater efforts, confer in thy heart what thou knowest of my own conduct. Know at the first sight of thy highest good my heart was wounded with love, giving myself entirely to him in order never to separate myself thereafter. My whole life was consumed in this, and I ceased not to press forward in order to arrive at the center of my desires and affections. For since the object is infinite, so love can have no rest or cessation until it is attained. With the knowledge of God and the love of Him should also go the knowledge of thyself, remembering and considering thy insignificance and vileness. Advert that when these truths are well understood, repeated, and meditated upon, they will cause divine effects in the soul. 
Having heard these teachings and others of the queen, I said to her majesty, My mistress, whose slave I am and to whom I dedicate and consecrate myself anew, not without cause has my heart desired and asked for this day, on which according to thy maternal condescension I might come to know thy heavenly doings and hear thy sweet and salutary words. I confess, O queen, from all my heart that I can claim no goodness on my part, which deserves such a benefit as a reward. And if I were not obeying thy will and that of thy divine Son, I would look upon the attempt to write thy life as an unpardonable presumption. Accept, O lady, the sacrifice of praise from me, and speak that my servant may hear. 1 Kings 3.10 Let thy most delightful voice, O sweetest lady, resound in my ears. Canticle 2.14 for thou hast the words of life, John 6.69. Continue to teach me and enlighten me, O Lady, that my heart may dilate in the sea of thy perfections, furnishing me with worthy material for the praise of the Almighty. In my bosom burns the fire, enkindled by thy kindness, and longing for that which is most holy and most acceptable to thy eyes. In my inferior members, however, I feel the law of repugnance to the law of the Spirit regarding me and embarrassing me. I justly fear that it will hinder me from attaining the good which thou, most loving mother, dost offer to me. Look upon me, therefore, my lady, as a daughter. Teach me as thy disciple. Correct me as thy servant, and compel me as thy slave. Whenever I am tardy or disinclined, for though unwillingly I fall short through weakness, I will raise my aspirations to know the being of God, and may his divine grace govern my affections so that they may become enamored with his infinite perfections. And if I attain him, I will not dismiss him. Ecclesiastes 24, 24. But thou, O lady, mother of knowledge and of beautiful love, beseech thy son and my Lord, that he forsake me not in consideration of his liberality toward thee, thou queen and mistress of all creation. This concludes our reading today from the Mystical City of God, Book 1, Chapter 16. Paragraphs 235 to 243. For the past 30 days now, we've been reading from the Mystical City of God. And I think for anybody who reads a work, especially a spiritual book, we might ask that question, well, what good is this doing for me? Why am I reading this? And maybe you've asked that. Maybe you're like, why am I still listening to this Mystical City of God? And I promise you, when we get to Volume 2 and Volume 3 and Volume 4, when we get to the scriptural elements that we know so well, it's going to be so worth it. So we persevere here in the first uh, 90 days in Volume 1, and we've had some great lights in these readings. We've heard the story of Jochum and Anne and how that was treated and other beautiful reflections as well. There's a lot here for us to mine from. But today what we see on this 30th day of our reading is that we now understand that Maria Vagrida is going to give us this teaching from the Blessed Mother about her life or the life of Jesus. But today was the first day that we had the instruction which the Queen of Heaven gave me regarding this chapter. And she says... She would instruct me how to model my life after her own, for this would be the principal purpose of showing it to me as in a mirror. So we have this life of Mary. She shares that life with us 
So then we, as followers of the Lord, the followers of her son, might imitate how she lived her life in complete obedience and trust in divine providence and love of God so that we could try to attain to the way in which she lived her life. So I would say that's why we read the mystical city of God. We're reading it because we want to be changed within. We want to be a new person as we encounter the story of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We heard today also, So also parents should pray with fervor to God that the souls of their children through his providence may obtain baptism and be freed from the servitude of original sin. This is the prayer of parents that their kids will know God. Of course, they brought their kids to the fawn and maybe they've left the faith or they've turned their back on God. And so the parent now prays for the renewal of the grace of that baptism. Maybe a parent has a grandchild that isn't baptized. And so that becomes the earnest prayer of their heart. A good reminder that as we're talking about the conception of Mary and then all the ways in which already from the very beginning she was pleasing to God, while we pray for those people in our life. There's also this instruction from the Blessed Mother about how it is that we should reflect or what we should reflect on. So when we hear this today, not only then do we say, well, this is why I'm reading this so that I can come to know the Blessed Mother more and live more like her, but also when we hear her speaking through Maria of Agreda, well, it's going to give us something to pray about throughout the day. Direct the eyes of thy soul toward the essence of God, which is without beginning and without limit. Contemplate his infinite attributes and perfections. Consider that he alone is the true holiness. So this is an invitation for Mary to reflect on the grandeur of God. Who is God? And for us to kind of begin to think about that great mystery of God. And as we come to know God, well, then we'll understand him. And as we understand him more, well, then we're going to love him more. We're going to want to adore him and worship him all the days of our life. And then finally, in the last paragraph of the day, my mistress, this is Maria Vagrida speaking, I said to her majesty, my mistress, whose slave I am and to whom I dedicate and consecrate myself anew, you might be familiar with Marian consecration. Maybe you've done Marian consecration, Mike, Father Michael Gately or St. Louis de Montfort. If you want to learn more about Marian consecration, I've written a book, Behold the Handmaid of the Lord, a 10-day personal retreat with St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to Mary. And there I give some of these basic principles of Marian theology and what St. Louis de Montfort writes about in True Devotion to Mary. You're getting a lot of it probably here on this podcast as we reflect on these daily readings. But we want to give our lives to Jesus through Mary, as St. Louis de Montfort said. And so here she says, whose slave I am and to whom I dedicate and consecrate myself anew. Every day, Mary, I consecrate my heart to you so that in giving my life to you, you might give it to your son, Jesus. A beautiful spiritual practice for all of us. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading The Mystical City of God. I'm so delighted that you've joined me for these first 30 days, and I hope that you'll continue to do so. Until tomorrow, may God bless you and Mary pray for you.